distinguished man in the bow tie, Jeffrey Tucker. Thank you, Jeffrey. Like uh, any evangelist. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I'm here mostly to talk about my new venture. Leslie Fair has done very, very well. We were out there about three years ago with the idea of subscription-based book services, which I was talking about at this conference about two years ago. And since that time, about a half a dozen other companies have popped up, and I noticed that Amazon just the other day started the same thing. So very excited about that. Um, and I think it was about 15 months ago now that I was speaking at an Oxford Club meeting, and I talked about 20 minutes about, uh, about Bitcoin, and thereby alienated about 90% of the audience, all of whom thought, most of everybody who thought I was just out of my mind and insane. And about 10% uh, thought there was, might have been something to it. And they've all experienced about a 50-fold return in the meantime. So listen carefully, that's all I can say. Um, so what I would like to talk about today, and I only have 20 minutes to kind of go through this, and I think it's a very, very important topic. It has to do with what I think is the great civilizational transformative movement of our time. It's been going on about 20 years, and it's called the digital age. And it's amazing to me how few people really understand what it's, what's going on. I mean, even highly sophisticated investors and economists, intellectuals, um, yeah, we understand the ignorance of, of, of media and journalists and all the rest of these fools, but it, most people don't have any excuse to how little they understand about what's going on in the world today. Uh, we're 20 years into this process of what I'm calling the Great Migration. What that means is that we're seeing a great migration out of the physical world and out of the nation-state apparatus <clears throat> and the limits of scarcity into a world of, of globalism and, and, and digital residency that is, that is changing the planet, that's on the verge of unleashing unprecedented levels of prosperity and transforming the structure of political regimes all over the world. We've never seen anything remotely like it in human history. Um, people d don't, are very confused about this. Uh, they don't understand how Wikipedia works, why it is that Facebook makes money, um, how it is that Amazon overcame all the limits uh, to it, uh, why eBay is cool, what uh, Uber is, what Airbnb is, what a website is, and why anybody even cares, and why young people spend so much time on their smartphones. I mean, this is, you know, people are mystified by this, so I'd like to just kind of give you a little bit of a model over the next uh, few minutes to help you understand and also point to um, my newest venture, which is liberty.me, which is uh, the single most um, edgy, bleeding edge, wonderful tool of global communication and organization, I think, on the planet. So here we go. This is the very beginning, and um, uh, we're, we're going back now uh, a thousand years, or 1,200 years or so, and it was the beginning of feudalism. Feudalism was a massive upgrade over the status of people after the fall of Rome, because uh, people could move to feudal lands and experience security and actually get food and, and have a roof over their heads, and that was an amazing and wonderful thing. The problem with feudalism is that it restricts you geographically and restricts the information you have. And also the terrible thing about feudalism is you never got money. Feudal, feudal peasants never got money, they just got food. And that was it. It was regrettable in that sense, but actually it was a huge advance of civilization. And there was a migration out of the rural areas into the feudal lands because people were seeking 
um, a greater degree of material prosperity. That's why migrations always, always take place. People leave insecurity towards security. They leave, leave privation towards prosperity. They leave uh, uncertainty, short lives, brutish uh, desperation in order to obtain more material prosperity. That's the history of civilization. And when we saw the transition out of feudalism, starting in the, probably the 15th century and certainly arising and flourishing in the 16th century and actually still continuing to today, um, people left their, their confines of the physical ge geographic environment and what they considered to be a despotism. I mean, the big basic problem with feudalism is that it required military service. So you had, and there's a kind of a private and heavy t form of taxation that was associated with it. Move to the cities, why? Because in cities, you got two critical things. I mean, you kept your security, you got a roof over your head, you got more food than you ever had, but critically, you earned money Money was a very cool thing to have because it allowed you to have a greater choice in life. You could actually make decisions on what you did with the wealth that you earned. And also, very importantly, you had friends to communicate with. So you could learn things from others. So you could grow in your knowledge. And collectively, humanity vastly increased its store of knowledge with the urbanization that came with that great invention called capitalism. It was a be very beautiful and wonderful moment in history. And so the migrations have gone. Um, uh, people leaving feudal lands towards the cities, people leaving, leaving the old world towards the new world to find freedom, get away from despotism, people leaving uh, the, the East Coast, moving towards the West in the 19th century to find ever more prosperity, uh, ever more freedom, get away from despotism, get away from oppression, and, and find more people uh, to communicate with. <clears throat> and that's what's going on in our own times. Uh, the world is full now, uh, uh, the, over the last hundred years, the regulatory, the tax state, and, the, and especially the cent central banking have destroyed so much of the physical world, and we're now seeing another great migration to the digital world, which, the, which began in 1995 with the privatization of the internet. It provided a new frontier in which people had choice in a deregulated environment in order to exercise their entrepreneurial instincts and communicate with each other. And this has changed, I think, uh, the, the course of life itself. Really, the digital age began in the early 1990s with mes messaging systems that were used mostly by academics and elites. Uh, it gradually mutated over towards communications even before the invention of the World Wide Web. We saw the invention of, of email. Uh, when the web came online in 1995, simultaneous to the to the privatization of the internet, we began to see books and literature move out of the physical world and into the digital world, then financial transactions moved, and then images, and then shopping and commerce, and then film and music and entertainment, and now we're seeing civic associations like friendship and romance and interest groups of all sorts move into the cloud as part of the Great Migration, and now education is leaving. I wouldn't invest in higher education right now at all, and you should certainly, if you're in a position of somebody's dunning you for 100K to go to college today, you might try to talk them out of it. Um, and then also now today with objects and 3D printing, we're seeing the, 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 the shredding of the regulatory state buildup over the last 100 years with 3D printing. With a CAD file you can distribute on uh, distributed networks all over, the, all over the world. You can print out anything whether or not you have permission to do it or not. And we're just at the beginning of this stage. And now we're seeing in the last five years even money uh, itself reformulated as a digital good leaving the confines of the nation state. 
and it's a very beautiful thing with dramatic implications for the future. Now, what I find very interesting is how many debunkers of the digital age there have been over the last uh, uh, 20 or so years. Every time a new technology comes along, the smart guys are all saying, oh, well, this is going to be, this is never going to go anywhere. This is the first web page of, of Amazon that just went up in 1995. And I remember reading an article in the Washington Post at the time saying, this is incredibly stupid. It will never work. Nobody wants to shop online. And if it does work slightly, it'll be very simple to copy because the internet is nothing but a gigantic copy machine. And so this, this, this fool who started this thing will find his profits dissipated within weeks because anybody can just repeat what he's doing. And so on it went. And then, of course, you remember uh, the dot-com bust, right? I mean, that seemed to confirm all the biases of, this, of the smart people that the internet was really just a bunch of baloney. It was never going to go anywhere. You can see there uh, how the Amazon stock started at zero and basically tanked back down to zero at the end of the dot-com bust. And people were congratulating themselves on how amazing they were and anticipating that the internet was just a, a fool's a game. Um, and many people left and maintained those biases and thereby missed, you know, the great, the great run-up of one of the great companies of our time. And so it is with so many other companies. Now, what you have in front of you now is an organization chart of the U.S. government. Um, that's how it's organized, and that's how many big corporations are organized. And it's all very pretty and very detailed, and everybody's in his place, and you know they feel like they can manage the world this way. Um, John Kerry said that it's very difficult, he said this the other day, he said it's very difficult to manage the world uh, properly in the age of the internet. And he's exactly right, because in contrast to the way the US government looks, here's how the internet looks. Very different, right? Completely different world. Uh, the internet is organized spontaneously according to distributed networks, according to individual human choice, has absolutely no regard for borders, for class, for race, or anything else. It's all just a spontaneous order, in the words of F.A. Hayek. That, my friends, is unmanageable and delightfully so. That's the way it should be. And you'll see what I believe about this right there at the very bottom. I say, this is why we're going to win. That is why the internet and the Great Migration is going to change the world. So what is the advantage of the digital age over the physical world? If you understand these five points, you understand pretty much everything you need to know about uh, the, the digital world and why it's, it's the future. First of all, everything in the digital world is weightless. So you don't have to port it around on big ships and you don't have any transactions costs really associated with moving things peer-to-peer. Uh, um, and that's what makes it instantly portable. It's absolutely weightless, and so it can be moved around um, without any uh, problems or any costs. Uh, three, it's malleable, meaning that any amount of information can be adapted and changed by any individual, from song parodies to, 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 to books to Photoshopping to anything else, so every individual is 100% in, in control. Um, everything that's online is immortal. So if you get a book up online, it's going to be there forever. I remember so often in the early days when I first started putting books online, I'd have publishers write me and say, take that book down. I'd say, okay, and pull it down. Well, I knew f very well that if anything had been online, even about one minute, 
It was going to be online forever. I, mean, I can do a search right now and find all the books that I took down, you know, instantly because they enter onto these distributed networks and nobody can control it. Because of, and that's what makes everything absolutely immortal. Uh, anything online is going to stay there forever. Today you can study, study under the works of Plato or Rick Rule or anybody else and it will be this way from now to the end of time. The, scarce, the physical world is not that way. It's, everything's depreciating, falling apart and dissipating ashes to ashes and all that kind of stuff. Not true in the digital world. Reproducibility, that's the remarkable thing about digital goods is they can be reproduced under infinity um, I can consume something at the same time you can consume it. My consumption does not diminish your capacity to consume it. And that means that there's no scarcity in the digital world at all. So you see how it's just absolutely and fundamentally transformative. All this stuff is unthinkably brilliant. Now, uh, let me jump into what I believe are going to be the critical building blocks uh, from this day forward. And really this began over the last five years. We've seen the emergence in the sort of now maturing of the digital age of five types of technologies or technological processes that are going to define our future. The first thing is open source technology. Um, when Wikipedia first came out, you remember this, everybody made fun of it. This is stupid, this is never going to work. Anybody can edit it. That is an unintelligent system. We need top-down solutions with smart people with power and resources to run things, not just throw them out into the into the world and let people just do whatever they want to with them. Well, it turns out throwing things out into the world and letting people do whatever they want to with them is a very smart way to, to make great technologies. Uh, from Wikipedia to, to WordPress to all the open source technologies that, that are everywhere, uh, go to a place like GitHub, you'll see that there are millions and millions of great works of software. There's no proprietary top-down software solutions that can compare to the speed and brilliance of open source technology today. Peer-to-peer -to -peer trustless systems. This means that we're eliminating third parties and transactions. People are communicating one with another and very interested in directly um, uh, working with each other. A great example of a peer-to-peer -peer technology is Airbnb. I don't know how many of you used it. But it's just a simple platform that allows individuals with an extra room in their home to post the fact that that room is there and, um, and those people who need that room to be able to contact them directly and, and rent it out. Okay, it's a simple system. Peer-to-peer -peer sharing of space, using unused resources to mutual advantage of everybody um, party to the transaction. Well, this is an amazing thing. You understand what's going on here, right? It shreds zoning laws. It completely gets rid of the regulatory apparatus that, that is controlling um, uh, apartment rentals and hotel rentals. It allows people to connect directly with each other. And it also puts it completely out of the range of the regulators. New York State the other day was crack, trying to crack down on Airbnb and saying you need to stop this catastrophic uh, shredding of our laws and regulations. It's, it, you know, this is introducing anarchy and it's got to stop immediately. Well, the Airbnb company just said, look, we're just providing a platform. You know, talk to the individuals involved. Well, you can't talk to the individuals involved. There are tens of millions of individuals involved. They far outnumber the number of regulators. Distributed networks. As far as I'm concerned, the great invention of our age is the distributed network. What it means is, have you ever played, you ever been to a pizza joint and played that game called whack-a-mole, you know? There's a big hammer, 
and you hit the little mole that comes up, and then another one comes up, you keep hitting them. Well, this is more or less the way distributed networks work. They're like those moles in that game. They just keep popping up everywhere. If something lives on a distributed network, it means that trillions of copies can potentially exist. You get powerful people who don't like it going out to try to crush them, they can't do it. They can apply all the resources they want so long as one node lives, it can replicate itself a trillion times over in a matter of seconds. The distributed network is the only real institution that's ever been invented in the history of mankind that is guaranteed to be smarter and more long-lasting and powerful than any single government that seeks to control it. Yeah, it's true. The distributed network uh, is, is the great invention in all of the history of humanity. And it's the thing that's ultimately going to revert us back to, I think, maybe move us forward to a laissez-faire system and in the nation state. Number four is cryptography. Cryptography is something I had to kind of throw myself into studying over the last 12 months. I had been avoiding it. You ever have a subject where somebody's talking about it all the time and like you don't know anything about it, but you don't want to know anything about it? And so you just kind of keep avoiding it and avoiding it and avoiding it. Well, I was this way with cryptography. And, and finally, I got tired of pretending like I knew something about it. So I actually studied the subject. And there, it turns out there's a lot of great tutorials online. Cryptography is an amazing thing that allows individuals, two individuals anywhere in the world to communicate only the information that they want to communicate with each other and no more and no less than that and exclude that the, uh, the origin of that communication from any third party that wants to snoop on it. This is the, another killer for despotism and power. With cryptography, uh, nation states are radically disabled. They also enabled, if you look, yeah, this is a, an anarchist back here. He keeps clapping for him. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, cryptography, well, like Bitcoin uses cryptography. And PGP privacy, you know, is another, another good example. Um, uh, cryptography is a way for you and I to, to be, uh, have a geographically non-contiguous relationship and yet talk as individuals and only share the information we want to share without having to reveal our identities, without having to trust, otherwise trust each other. And if you look back at number two, it means that it's trustless. Cryptography enables trustless communications. And those communications could be words, they could be pictures, they could be film, they could be value. Uh, number five is that in the digital age, it just nobody cares about these idiotic borders that politicians have drawn on maps. It doesn't matter anymore. When you download an app from your smartphone, it could be made in Belarus, it could be made in Sao Paulo, Brazil, it could be made in uh, 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 Vancouver. You know, it, anywhere in the world, Singapore, it doesn't matter and you don't even care. And the app economy, which now includes about four million apps that you can download, is an example of this. It's a globalized economy. Um, when we download apps for our smartphone, we really don't care where they came from, who made them, or why. Nation states no longer matter. Okay, these are some very nice people. You see the bow tie I'm wearing? They made it for me. Isn't that sweet? Very beautiful. It's a lovely pattern. 
um, very unusual, actually, um, enormously valuable. There was one person in, in the audience who came up to me and recognized the, the design because she'd lived in Africa for many years and was very impressed by it. So here was, here's the story with these nice Ugandan women. They're from Uganda, and they are wonderful seamstresses, and they have beautiful patterns, and they love bow ties. Some, some kids out on a mission uh, from Atlanta who had gone over there to evangelize the nice Ugandans and sort of drag them into a church um, discovered discovered uh, these that these women have enormous talents and made a deal with them. They said, listen, if you make bow ties, we'll import them to the U.S. Uh, we don't have any money, so what should we do to make this business work? They started a Kickstarter, a Kickstarter campaign and raised a few tens of thousands of dollars and were able to capitalize their business. And now they have a very wonderful company called Lion's Gate um, that sells bow ties, and they're doing very well. I have an interview next week with uh, with the CEO of the company and these these nice women. So here's what here's the thing. Um, these are two people. You know how many people there are like this in the world? Billions. They have talents. They have skills. They don't have any way to get them out into the world and become part of the global division of labor. Uh, thanks to these nice kids in Atlanta, um, they now have access to a world economy. But it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be the case that you need to depend on a third party because there's a technology that's coming along that's going to change that. It's called Bitcoin. Bitcoin would enable these women, and in fact they're in the process of, of converting to a Bitcoin acceptance, to be able to start their own enterprises on their smartphones or using an internet connection that doesn't require third parties like you know, some kids in Atlanta to enable them to access prosperity. Right now, about half of humanity doesn't have credit cards, they don't have bank, bank accounts, they live in IP addresses that are not trusted by the, by the digital uh, commercial system. Bitcoin enables them to be able to uh, accept money and be able to accomplish um, everything that you want to in life, to be part of the global division of labor and to become talented, to, to, uh, to have your talents um, ap applied to uh, becoming wealthy. Um, because Bitcoin does not rely on banks, it does not rely on central banks or governments. There's a market capitalization of Bitcoin, here's the number of transactions per day. As I say, two years ago or 19 months ago when I first started promoting Bitcoin, everybody said I was out of my mind. Um, I'm going to have to bypass this because I'm out of time. You can come to my seminar later today and I can talk about this a little bit more. Okay, let me just mention liberty.me. This is another of the technologies that is using all the things that are forward-looking in this world. It's a global communications network and social and publishing platform for people that are dedicated to human liberty all over the world. Uh, this is our front page. Uh, we have instantaneous chat with anybody in the, in, in the world who wants to kind of join. So you have friendship networks. This is the ultimate ultimate moving to the city. The whole world has become a city under liberty.me, essentially. This is the ultimate sort of death blow to feudalism, in other words. Um, these are nightly classes we run for people all over the world so they can engage people like, like Rick Rule or you know, great, great uh, professors from all over the world um, and learn from them and communicate in real time. I mean, every night when I'm on these classrooms, I'm still just dazzled that I'm able to study with a group of students in a single classroom and it completely without regard to geography. There's people from all over the world, and I can study with any professor wherever he or she may be 
instantly in a live classroom. It's an amazing thing to see. These are ongoing discussions we have. Everything's integrated. Liberty guides for ways to get freer in your life. Um, we have uh, 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 more than 100 books already uploaded. We've only been open about 80 days. This is my own little book about other books, 20 life-changing classics. But here are the number of books that we have, instantly downloadable. When you look back at the Gutenberg Press and how amazing that was, now look at this, right? Instant, instantaneous downloads of hundreds of uh, books, and they'll eventually be thousands. You can start your own groups, your own civic associations, again, without regard to the nation state, geography, or anything else. This is liberty.me, and it's just the beginning. It's the most impressive piece of digital real estate that humanity has thus far seen. I would welcome you all to join, uh, go over there. It's very cheap, I think, you know, we've got, uh, we've, We've got a very uh, good deal right now on, on joining. But another thing to consider is that if you know family members who are very interested in the topic of human liberty and want um, to develop a good friendship network and learning center, that it's advanced and goes outside all the nonsense that's been created over the last 100 years, you can drop me a note at liberty at tucker.liberty.me. We're looking for scholarships for students. Uh, you, can, you can make them available for your uh, college uh, that you went to or some institution you're otherwise devoted to or your family or anybody else. Um, we are looking to change not just our own lives, but to change the entire world, to use the tools that our generation has given us to change ourselves and, and get us back on track as a civilization and a society and a world system where we can all work together to make ourselves freer and more prosperous. Thank you so much, and I hope to see you at my seminar later today.